It's so good to be home. Thank you. Thank you. My family and I are well, by God's grace. Um, the Lord has continued to just surround us with his favor and the banner of his love. And uh, thank you for all of your prayers and your steadfastness in my absence. I know I wrote you all a letter, but I want to again publicly acknowledge my gratefulness for the staff of this congregation. What a wonderful job that they have done. Thank you. I treasure every one of you, my friends, my co-laborers, my partners in ministry, for the elders, the ministry coordinators, the lay pastors, the ministry team leaders, the ministers, this congregation. Thank you. I bless you. I bless you this morning. Wow. That's good. Thank you, worship team, this morning. Couldn't have been a more fitting and appropriate opening of the door for the word today. This morning, um, we're going to step back in, in a sense to where we left off last May, which was in an ongoing study that we were doing of the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we are beginning a series for Lent. And those of you that have grown up in perhaps a more uh, traditional uh, church setting are familiar with the concept of Lent. It's the 40 days. I learned something new this week, by the way. I I did not know this. Probably many of you did, but I didn't know that Lent actually is the 40 days leading up to Easter with the exception of the Sundays. It's only the weekdays. You know that? I didn't know that. Anyway, I learned something new. So now you know something new if you didn't know that. But it's the 40 days. It starts, of course, on Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, and leads up to Easter time. And it's a time of reflection. It's a time of um, a very focused gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in all of His majesty, in all of His brokenness. As Pastor Sam and I were laying out the the weeks before us, the um, title that we chose to use for this season of Lent is Radical Shift Back to the Core of the Gospel. Many of us, myself included, often have a misperception about the word radical. We often think of radical as something, you know, that's sort of way out there somewhere. It's, you know, out of the box. It's out of, it's all, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's new. It's, um, fresh. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's out there somewhere. And 
The word radical is new and fresh, and it is amazing. But it doesn't have to do so much with out there as it does with in here and down here. The word radical literally means returning to the root. It means going back to the core. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. That's radical shift. It's all about you. And so the Lord, over these next weeks before us, leading up into Easter, during this Lenten season, I'm absolutely convinced that God's heart is to bring us back to the core. And there is no passage that we are going to study in anywhere in Scripture that is more core than the Scripture that we are going to look at this morning. And I would like to ask you to do something with me, and I would like to ask everyone to do this with me. If you've got a Bible, that's great. If you don't, please take this. I want to hear the rustle of pages. And I would like you to turn, if you would, to page 714 in this pew Bible, or wherever it is in your Bible, that's fine. And I'd like you to please stand with me for the reading of the Word of the Lord this morning. Mark chapter 8, verse 27, to chapter 9, verse 1. Mark chapter 8, verse 27, to chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever, for whoever 
wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. And He said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Lord, Your word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And this morning we welcome your word of truth to come and pierce to the very core of who we are. Go to the roots, God. Go to the foundations in our lives. And bring forth radical In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have three simple questions for us this morning. Simple to ask. Transformative to answer. The first question is simply this. Who is Jesus? As Jesus is with His disciples, He asks, Who do people say that I am? What are people, what's what's the buzz in the streets? How are people responding? What are they saying? Who, Who do they say that I am? And the disciples say, Well, some are saying that you are John the Baptist. This was Herod's response. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, this is what Herod was believing about um, Jesus, that he was John the Baptist come back from the dead. His message of repentance, Jesus's. So in line, of course, with the message of repentance that John the Baptist brought. Some say Elijah. Malachi... The prophet, the last scripture in, uh, the, in the Old Testament talks about how Elijah will come, as a, as the, the spirit of Elijah will come, that, that prophetic heart of Elijah is going to come before the Messiah shows up on the scene. And so some were saying, we think that Jesus is that forerunner. He is the one who is preparing the way for the Messiah. Look at his, the power, the acts of power, his words, his, his deeds. It's, it must be Elijah. Then Jesus stands before his disciples and he asks the question that he's standing before you asking this morning. This is the critical, crucial question that you and I must answer. Just think about this for a moment. This is more than words on a page. The gospel is the very power and presence of the living God. 
And he is standing here before you this morning, and he is asking you this question. Who do you say that I am? What about you? Not what mama says. Not what daddy says. Not what pastor says. Not what the preacher on the TV says. Not what the guy on the bus says. Not the guy shooting hoops at the playground who's using Jesus' name a whole lot. Come on. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter has this incredible flash of insight and revelation and speaks it out and says, you are the Christ. And as soon as he says that, you are the Christ, Jesus in our Parallel passage in, you know, in Mark chapter 16. You are the Christ, Jesus replies. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. On this revelation of who I am, I will build my church, Jesus says. Not on Peter the man, but on the revelation Received by Peter the man. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's talk about that just for a moment. What does Christ mean? It's the same, it's the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah, and literally means anointed one. So when you hear Messiah, Christ. Christ is, you know, and I say this sometimes humorously, but People sometimes think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. I'm Jim Olson, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It is a title. And it has a very specific and definite meaning. It means, first of all, that he is ruling king. And this was very understandable to who Jesus was speaking to. Because the Jewish people had a very specific understanding of what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be and what He would be like. And when Jesus uses the words here, He says in verse 31, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, and later on in verse Um, 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory. The Son of Man would immediately have brought out the connotation and understanding and the scriptural background and context of the prophetic word from Daniel. In Daniel 7, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, 
coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence and was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And let me tell you people, all peoples, all nations, all men of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I see the King of glory. That's who we're talking about. The ruling King in all of His majesty. But there's another side of the reality of Jesus as the Christ that simply wasn't a part of the plan. Don't you know? It wasn't understood who he is. See, he's not only the ruling king, but he is the suffering Savior. The suffering Savior. The whole theme of the Gospel of Mark is, Behold my servant. He is the suffering servant, Savior. Isaiah 53, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds. We are healed. Here's the great paradox. The ruling glorious King is the suffering Savior bleeding and dying on the cross. We just can't get our minds around that. It's so hard. It's so hard. But this is who this Jesus is. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders. That word rejected there literally means didn't pass the scrutiny. Would you like that one? He didn't pass the scrutiny. Don't you know? He didn't pass the scrutiny of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And then he went on and says that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And I... I love this, verse 32. He spoke plainly about this. He spoke plainly. If there's anything I want to do today, it's simply to speak plainly to you this morning. Plainly. This is who Jesus the Christ is. He is a ruling king, people. And he's a suffering savior. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Again, the word scold. He's going to... Now, just a minute here, Jesus. We need to talk. I'm sorry. Obviously, you haven't read the book carefully enough. This is not the plan. This is not what we're talking about. It's not what the Messiah is. And I love what it says here because this is important to see. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, because you know what? We always pick on Peter, but all the disciples are back there. You tell him, Peter. Come on. We're with you. We're right behind you. All your troubles are right behind you, Peter. We're right here. Yeah. We're with you. We agree. This, Jesus is a little bit confused here. Set him straight. So it wasn't just Peter. It was all the disciples. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now those are not words that you want to hear. Not the ones you want. But Jesus had already fought through this. Back in the wilderness and the temptation. Forty days. Satan had thrown at him everything. Okay, if you t- I got plans for you. Satan said, I can offer you all of this. And Jesus says, No! The Word says this! No! And here, he's hearing the very same words of temptation coming out of the mouth of his friend. Ever had that happen? I mean, the enemy, the enemy comes with the words of, that are seductively attractive. You don't really have to die, Jesus. You don't, you don't really have to go that way. That's what makes them so powerful and magnetic to us because they, they sound sort of reasonable. Get behind it. You don't have in mind the things of God but the things of men. I know I heard those words before many a time from the Lord. Next question, two of three, for those of you keeping score. So what's required of us? If this is who Jesus is, then what's, what's required of us? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that for a minute. First thing that's required of us is radical faith. It's radical faith, which is surrender. If, if, if who is Jesus is, He is the Christ, what is required of us is absolute and total surrender. Teacher, teacher, doesn't matter. Whatever the question is, let me tell you what the answer is. The answer is surrender. What do you want me to do in this? Surrender. What should I be doing today? Surrender. 
How am I supposed to be responding? Surrender. Surrender. It's always the answer. Is always surrender. To do that takes radical faith. What do I mean by radical faith? I mean, you've got to die. And you've got to lose. You die to live and you lose to keep. This is the incredible paradox of the gospel and it's the incredible paradox, it, but it's true. If you're going to live, you've got to die. And if you're going to keep, you've got to lose. Whoever would lose his life will keep it. Paul gets it at, here, and I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not talking about self-annihilation in the sense that, I mean, Paul's still saying, I, 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 he still exists. But there's been an utter shift in the center of gravity in his life. The center of gravity is no longer himself. But now the center of gravity has shifted and it's Christ in me. So what does it mean to lose your life? Well, what are some of the... Think about this. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, people. I've been thinking about this for the last nine months. I've been thinking about this for years and years, but I've had some time and space thinking about this, pondering, reflecting, waiting for God. Some things that you and I all want, I mean desire, want to hang on to. There's, there's some things that we want to grasp. One is safety. Everybody wants safety. Everybody wants safety. And so we build our fences very carefully around to keep all the bad things out and how's that all working out? Hmm? Working out real good for you? Jesus says if you lose your safety for my sake I, I'll be your keep. I'll be a refuge. In fact, I love that picture. So, you know, under the shelter I'm sorry, this may whatever, but I I like to think of myself under God's armpit. Just right here. It's a really safe place. So when somebody at school or somebody at work says or does something that you know is, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the safe route or are you going to speak truth to power? Somebody starts gossiping. Somebody says something about those people. You know them. What are you going to do? 
Walk in fear. Walk in truth. Security. We all like security. Oh my. Man, we like security. So we hang on. We hang on to our time. We hang on to our resources. We hang on to our energy. We just we just try to hang on to it all. How's that working? Real good? <laughs> you know, this is why tithing is such an offense. You want me to do what? 10%? Huh? Wait a minute. There's got to be some deductions, tithing deductions. I'm sure I can get some tithing deductions. But you know where I'm at. You know what's going on. You know my life. I can't even make my ends meet. I'm pulling them as hard as I can together. I understand. I've been there. Done that. God says, test me. It's an issue of trust. That's what tithing is about. It's an issue of trust. It's nothing more, nothing less than trust. Will God take care of me or not? Is he the Lord of everything or isn't he? Come on. How are you liking your new pastor? Is this working out okay? All right. Come on. That's what, you know, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about an issue of trust. Oh, you can dance all around it you want. I don't, whatever. But I've learned all through my life. Stability. That's another one we really like. I really like stability. You know, I don't want things to move. I, if they could just, I could just get it locked down and it wouldn't move. And it keeps moving. Right? God's not nearly as nervous about stability as we are. He's the God who never changes, but He's got a whole lot of stuff that's always changing. His character doesn't change, but everything else does. We all want serenity. Peace. You know, when things settle down. We've talked about this before. There's going to come a time when things are going to settle down. When you are six feet underground, things are going to settle way, way down. Okay. Things are going to be really settled down. Until then, not so much. In this world, you will have trouble. Well, thank you, Jesus, claiming that promise today. But thank God, he says, but I have overcome the world. Your serenity is not in your circumstances. It's in him. But as long as the center of gravity is in you, and you're trying to hang on to it, How's that working out? Significance. Oh, we all want significance. And I want to be somebody. We want to be all noticed and want to be all big and 
popular and prestigious and power and all of that. Jesus says, and we're going to get to this in a few passages from now, he takes a little child in his arm and says, I want to tell you about significance right here. This is what significance looks like. Significant is that you're his. Stand before him and he says, I love you. There you go. takes a radical faith and a reorientation of your life. He goes on, he, t- he talks about here, he says, if anyone, now, now look at this, by the way, please don't, you know, we just read by stuff. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. So what Jesus says here is not like just for spiritual people who are like the inner circle this isn't just for, you know, the vocational pastoral staff people and elders who are, like, really godly. He calls the crowd and says, if anyone. Uh, anybody here and anyone? I, I think that covers just about everybody. Yeah. If anyone would come after me. What's he need to do? We have to deny ourselves. You know what that word deny means? It means to renounce my claim. Literally, that's what it means. Renounce my claim. You need to renounce your claim to yourself and to your life. It's not mine anymore. It's just not. Here's the thing about God. He really believes he's God. It's really unsettling. But he really thinks he is. God. Take up your cross daily. Now, this if there's been any verse that's been misunderstood, it's probably this one. Take up your cross. Well, pastor, I've been carrying my cross. I've been getting up next to her for the last 30 years and I'm still carrying her. Oh God, would you, Pastor, would you please pray for me as I carry my cross? <laughs> like the old saying goes, sometimes I wake up crabby in the morning and sometimes I let her sleep. You know? That would not be about my wife, by the way. She is much sweeter in sunshine here in the morning than that. You know, your cross is not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your pastor. It's not your, your work or your, you know. And it's not your infirmities. It's not your trials. That's not your cross. Your cross is your response. Your cross is, your cross is this radical shift from utter self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. That's, that's the, and it, it's daily. 
we think, okay, my life's, you know, in our minds we picture our lives as, you know, it's worth a million dollars, I'm going to go and I'm going to put my million dollar life on the altar. And God gives it back to us and says, yes, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to take it one quarter at a time. One decision, one choice at a time. Get that? It's that constant, ongoing decision to follow Him. That means being behind Him. That means following. As it says in Romans 12, you know it well, therefore I urge you, brothers, men, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act. Other translations, reasonable act of worship. This isn't like for saints and people who are like super spiritual. This is for you and me. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right. You've heard me tell this story before, many of you, but it's so good, i just got to tell it again. It's very brief. It's called The Road of Life. This is all about the reorientation of life. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong, so to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places. But life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable, and it was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains, through rocky places, at breakneck speeds, and it was all I could do to hang on, even though it looked like madness, and he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. And he took me to people and gifts that I needed, gifts of healing and acceptance and joy. And they gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. And he said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend, to take sharp corners. He knows how to jump, to clear high rocks. He knows how to fly, to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. So what's the result? Why, why on earth would I want to do this? Why do I want to surrender my life? I'll give you one very good reason. Because it is the only way that you are going to experience victory. There is no other way. You can't go around this. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You've got to go through it. You've got to come to grips with who Jesus is. He's asking you today, right now, who do you say that I am? And he's asking you to surrender. And if you will, 
The result is victory. You will be restored to life. We just had a wonderful series on that. Thank you to Pastor Dave, Pastor Tom, who, all, who shared the word these last weeks. What a wonderful gift to be restored to life. That's what he wants to do to you, to me, to all of us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He wants to restore you to life and raise you with Christ. This is what his longing is. This is what his purpose is. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. He wants to restore you to life in the here and now and to raise you to life forever. This is really way good news (laughs) this is incredible news and this is the core of the gospel this is the radical shift I don't know where everybody is at this morning I know you're sitting here but I don't know what's going on inside but this morning I can tell you this as sure as I'm standing here before you that his cords of loving kindness are right around this place. I've seen them. We were praying earlier this morning. I saw them. And it says in the scriptures, it's with cords of loving kindness that he brings us to repentance, to that shift, to that change of heart. So how about it? Anybody up for a radical shift today? Anybody up to having your life reoriented? Anybody want to have a restored life? I do. I do. I want to learn to respond differently. I want to learn to to walk in a new way. You know, I want to be that new pastor. I'm committed to it. But I got to die and I got to lose in order to live and keep. I need to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow then the victory will come. I tried to find it years and years and years ago. I saw a cartoon in Leadership Magazine. It was one of my favorites. I wish I could put up the picture for you, but I'll just have to. So, so it's a little Bible study going on. And they're clearly talking about the passage in Romans there. and Or in Galatians. One of those, you know, the passages about dying to self. And this woman is sitting there and she's got a kind of a little bright perky smile on her face. And she says to the other people that are sitting there, well, she says... I can't say that I've ever really died to myself. But but I did feel faint once. <laughs> A lot of us have felt faint. We've felt faint. But have we really died to ourselves? Maybe not so much. Well, today, guess what? I surrender all. I surrender all. 
Get us in the right key here, James. That's good, whatever key you're in. As we close this morning, I'm going to give a benediction prayer in just a little bit after we've sung through this song. But if you're here this morning and you have sensed Jesus speaking to you, asking, who do you say that I am? And you've heard His words resonating in your heart. You want to follow me? That'd be fabulous. I want to welcome you into this adventure, but here's what you're going to need to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. Maybe maybe He has been. The word Christ has just been a last name to you. And maybe this is one of the first times you actually have seen and understand. Oh, so that's what that means. He's a king. And He's a Savior. Yes, He is. And He loves you today. And He longs for relationship with you. Won't you come this morning and just give your heart to Him? I can tell you, after many, many years of experience, it'll never be boring. But He is good. And it's good to give yourself to Him. And maybe you've walked with Him. Maybe for many decades, but there hasn't been that place. Or there's a place you just know right now. You, you've surrendered, but, but there's another place of surrender He's inviting you into in this season of time. I know there is in my own life. So I'm right here with you, okay? But if you just need to just come and spend some time with Him this morning, I know it's... We're, we're there. We're at the we're at the noon time. But God's not in a hurry, and we'll just hang around and with Him together as long as we need. I will give a prayer of benediction again in just a moment. You're released to go without any guilt at all. No problem. You've got things you need to get to. That's fine. But if you want to, just as, you know, this is a hard song to sing. It really is. This is a radical shift song. I grew up singing this one. Still scares me. But I love it. So let's stand to our feet. And if you want to come this morning to this altar and lay something down before Him, do it. Come on now.